0: We are moving into kind of a, a bit of a new, a new series in general. Um, we'll be using this graphic for a little bit because it's going to bleed into our, our plans for resurrection um, and Holy Week and all that stuff. But this morning I wanted to begin by talking about what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks, a book in the Bible that you know probably very little, if anything, about In fact, it is the first time that I have ever heard or used myself spoken about it from a stage. The next two weeks we will discuss the Song of Solomon. The reason why no one ever preaches about this is because the Song of Solomon opens up with a a very strange, in terms of the Bible, a very strange opening line. It goes like this. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is like oil poured out. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. All right, that's your text. Preach a sermon. Right? So we avoid this like the plague. And uh, we don't talk about it very much. And really, this is the opening lines. And it just gets worse from there. I, I promise you, it just goes downhill so fast, so fast. You don't get a whole lot of God in this book. You get a lot of anatomy. And what I love most about this <laughs> book, if you read it, is this: is it reads like high school, like a high school poem, to some and to some extent. That hasn't changed much in my experience as I've gotten older. For as you read the poem, the girl, the woman, the lady, whatever the appropriate word is. She, oftentimes, would say she, she is often describing her longing for him. She's calling out to him, come after me, get me, chase me, or I'm gonna come after you and chase, all kind of emotive, and he spends most of the time describing her body. <laughs> it's in your Bible, didn't write it. We have been doing a class on this text for the past six weeks. Our, our advanced Bible people have been doing this, and we have had a really hard time Can I get a witness class? (laughs) They were were quick on that. We weren't supposed to be that quick. We've had a really hard time with this book because it is difficult to grab a hold of what might be the purpose of this being in your Bible. Why is this in your Bible? We're so used to books that just sort of describe God or tell the story of God's people. Books that give us lessons, that gives us life application, all these kinds of things. And so for... Millennia, I mean, literally many thousands of years, people have wrestled with why this is in the Bible because for whatever reason, God did not see fit to give us an introduction. Just this. And so Christian interpreters and Jewish interpreters have wrestled with what do we do with this book in this Bible. And I want to give you a little, this is, this is my favorite. I've been reading a lot of ancient thoughts about this book. And so this is, this is my favorite. This is from Theodoret of Seir. This is from about 1800 years back from now. So he is interpreting this verse right here. Let him let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine he's interpreting this and this is what he has to say let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth this should be a quote there now by kiss we understand not the joining of mouths right? so it's not about two people kissing but the communion of the pious soul to the divine word, right, referencing Jesus as the divine word. It is like the bride is saying something of this kind. I've experienced your words in writing, but I long to hear your voice as well. I wish to receive the sacred teaching directly from your mouth and to caress it with the lips of my mind, which is, guys, my favorite line for the rest of human history. The lips of my mind. I can't just imagine a brain with like lips facing out front looking to kiss the words of Jesus or something. I, we are struggling here mightily, are we not? And yet, two of the very first, let me say it again, two of the very first Christian commentaries written to express and explain verse by verse a book from beginning to end of Scripture. Guess what book it is? The rabbis, ancient people, struggle with this as well. One of the, one of the important texts from around the same time as the Jewish tradition was, was developing as well into what, kind of what you sort of have as rabbinic Judaism. You have this. Whoever trills sings flippantly. The song that is referring to this song, the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, in a banquet and treats it like a mere lyric, has no share in the world to come. That's intense, y'all. If you take the Song of Solomon flippantly, this rabbi, this holy scripture in some ways, um, to, to Jewish people in terms of interpretation, is expressing something very dire. This book is important. While at the same time, we're equally confused by it. Isn't human life interesting? I read this, and this will all tie together. Just hang on for a second. Why, I continue to ask myself, is it so difficult for us over the thousands of years to come to an understanding of why the song is in our texts? And I think this might speak to it. It won't seem related at first, but go with me for just a second. This is a quote I read. I feel it's spot on for many things. It's specifically speaking about preaching, kind of the act of what we're doing right now. But I think it has much broader implications. This um, expert says this. The idea that preaching should be personal, pragmatic, and purpose-driven is so deeply woven into the fabric of North American Christianity that we can hardly imagine it should be otherwise. The sermon must always have something useful in it. Some moral or lesson that people can take home with them. I would say that the author here needs to broaden his perspective because it isn't just preaching that we have this experience. My experience is that we treat everything this way. How many times have you thought to yourself, I am going to waste my time with this person? That person in your mind is a waste of time. Why are they a waste of time? Because they have nothing to offer you. Right? Why are we having such a hard time with the Song of Solomon? Because it seems like it has nothing to offer us. We might want to pause for a second and wonder though if maybe it isn't the scriptures that have it wrong but rather we who are missing something very important as we read them. Because if you are not a Christian here today this song is not a mystery to you at all. A boy, a girl, wants to get alone with a boy. Now comes the interesting question. Why did ancient people, why did what we call the infallible and inerrant word of God choose to put that in your Bible? Boy meets girl. Why is that there? Those are the questions that drew me to this. And I... I've really been, um, I've been on my own sort of mental and spiritual and life journey over the past several years, and I've been paying a lot of attention to people and what they say. I've been listening more than I've ever listened before, and I've learned that the Bible is the most perfect Rorschach test I've ever seen in my life. And I've learned more about everyone by watching you and what you do with Scripture, what Scriptures you choose, which Scriptures you love, which ones you want. It tells us more about ourselves, almost than it does about the scriptures themselves or about God. But here is my attempt to give you something purpose-driven, something to take home, and that would be this. Why should this book be here? Why should you read it? You should read it because we have a problem. And that problem is this, that you can find the right slide. You can be so holy, you forget how to be human. Why is this book so hard? It's so hard because we have forgotten that God also gave us bodies and life. We've forgotten to enjoy it, and to live in it, and to find our joy in it. And instead, the stereotype that the world has of us cannot possibly be so far from the mark that it is not applicable that when they look at us, we do not look happy. We look stodgy and stuck and angry. And if you read the song, you won't be stodgy or stuck or angry. You might fall in love again. That wouldn't be so bad for many of us. Make no mistake about it. Being more holy does not mean being less human especially since you will always be human. You know that, right? We are not waiting, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning. We are waiting for the resurrection of the dead. They went to the tomb and they found what? What did they find, church? What did they find, church? Nothing. And when they met Jesus, what did he say? Put your hands on the holes in mine. Put your hands on the hole in my side. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of the dead, that in him we might see the promise we have for ourselves. You will always be embodied. That is the hope of the church. And here you have in the word of God a celebration of life, of love. When you were a kid, when I was a kid anyway, we wrote notes and passed them. Cootie catchers, anybody? And if you were really committed, and this, this sort of dates me, a bit, but if you were really committed, you might write in whiteout ink the name of your love on your trapper keeper. Like, that was serious. All right? Or you might... Steal your boyfriend's many hoodies because you want to sleep in something that smells like him. Those were not cheap, by the way. (laughs) Moment of silence for all the lost hoodies in the room. (laughs) Oh, doesn't it feel good to laugh a little bit, you know? Isn't it interesting that God could have set us in motion and we could be people that lay eggs? We could not even care about each other, just do, run on animal instinct. But isn't it interesting that God has chosen that we should get butterflies in our stomach? Do you remember? Do you remember when somebody would walk past you, catch a, a smell or a look of the girl that you had, your, and your heart went a little faster, your stomach went a little bit like this? You remember those moments where somebody walked into the room and, and you stopped? and like, we, we don't celebrate that enough. We, do, we see the secular world celebrate that all the time, maybe too much. And they look at us and they say, why don't you celebrate it all? Because it's right here in this thing you call the Word of God. Maybe there's a moment that all of us, are, maybe some of us are even sitting next to people who used to excite us in that way, and we've forgotten, we've forgotten, I think this song is here because it reminds us of something really important that can easily be lost as we pursue the divine. And that is that we can forget that that God took on flesh and walked amongst us. and That he promised to give us eternal bodies. All of this is wrapped up in the story of God's grace, of his goodness, of his life. But we have forgotten how to dance. And I just think of this line from the great ambassador, Lando Malari, who said, My shoes are too tight, but that's okay. I've forgotten how to dance. And that bitter line, I pray, will never be yours. The next thing that I see out of this will give you many eye rolls. Even my own, to some extent. But here we go. Girl power. This is a strange kind of book, as I've already expressed, but I want you to recognize something at once, that when we get to this text, it begins with the voice of the woman. There are not a lot of texts in your Bible that do this. In fact, none spring to mind. This text opens up with the song of the woman calling out. And I, I, I think, even as I, even as I say girl power or whatever the appropriate thing is, I don't know what people say now, but whatever the thing is that people say and put on backpacks and stuff, I, I didn't think like that, but then I had daughters, and I have been watching um, Emery, and she's hitting this point where the, the, the hormones are hitting, the teens are hitting, and all these things. I'm watching my nine-year-old, soon-to-be ten-year-old, fighting with how the world is molding her into what she should be, wrestling with that. When we opened up this class, we opened up this 401 class, I, I, the first question I said was, tell me something about this book. Is any, any of you know anything about the Song of Solomon? One person knew one thing, and it was wrong. They'd been taught that one verse from this text was about chastity. Of all things you find in a love song. And so we had, to un- we had to deconstruct the one bad teaching that we even had in the room. And it was meant in such a way as to subvert the very text itself. What does this say? The woman sings out, "Come and kiss me," and you know, kind of right here, we're 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 getting risque. But like any other moment, you know, your mom pops in the room and steals your vanilla ice tape out of the thing. We're bouncing out, and we go to the chorus. There's a chorus of people that kind of break in here and there in the song. And so we're getting risque, and then all of a sudden the chorus breaks in, and they have something to say. And then the woman comes back. She speaks again, continuing her song, and she says this, My mother's sons were angry. I like that, because it sounds like something a sibling would say. Not my brothers. My mother's sons. (laughs) They made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect, right? So she sings, the brothers have brought me in and they've, they've put me inside the vineyard. They're forcing me to tend. I am away from you. But there is this moment where she sings back and she says, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock, where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a veiled woman? beside the flocks of your friends. Now, I realize that all of this, uh, this is laden with all kinds of imagery that is not familiar to us. This would not be a hit song today, obviously. There are some problems here. Because we kind of have to think about it. It really takes us out of ourselves, which might actually be a good idea for when you are listening to music, to kill the music and to read the lyrics and to think about what is being said right? But anyway, here we have not only the music killed, but the lyrics are strange. But here we have something going on. This woman is describing something. She's describing the society she lives in. It's patriarchal. So don't, listen, when I use that word, don't conservative me, don't liberal me. Like, it's a patriarchal culture, right? The the, the dad decided, the brothers watched over, and the woman went where she was told, right? That's how it functioned. And here she's, telling us this, my brothers have taken me and they have told me where to be and I have said, no, where are you? Where are you keeping those flocks? Tell me where you are. Why should I be veiled? Why should I be missed? Why should I be wandering around? Why should I be looking for you? Tell me where you are. I'll leave this vineyard right now. I don't care about those guys. (laughs) Nice rebel spirit. And I love the friends. So we got verse 7 here. and Then we move into verse 8. The chorus picks up again. So here's the, here's the backup singers now singing. And what do they say? They say, get him, girl. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, then follow the tracks of the sheep. And graze your goats by the tents of the shepherds. Which doesn't sound exciting to most of us. But... You hear what's being said here. If you don't know where he is, follow the tracks, go get him, chase him, run him down. Like the end of every, like the best friend at the end of every rom-com, right? Where like you're driving to the airport and you're like, you can get him, you'll catch him in time. Like that's what you got right here. What a strange book. We call this the word of God, right? We haven't changed our minds, have we? And my point is just to simply say what we see here is we see something that probably doesn't get highlighted a lot, doesn't get thought about a lot, but we see a lot of movement here and agency and action from the woman to get and achieve her man. Of course, he's got a lot to say. We haven't gotten there yet. And we actually won't. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, uh, But anyway, the point is, my friends, uh, that this b- book uniquely stands in the tradition that we often forget. That is, the tradition of the woman not taking the role that the world wants her to take, but rather a person who is willing to follow God, her own intuition, as it were. We have Tamar, who would not be denied her honor. We have the daughters of Zalafahad, who would not be denied Their inheritance. We have the bravery, faith, leadership of Deborah and Jael. We have the wise woman of Sheba. Great story. We have Huldah the prophetess who is consulted by the high priest and Josiah the king himself and who is able to explain and to express God's will for them which led to the compiling of much of the law, the reforms of Josiah, and the fact that you have a Bible today. Huldah the prophetess. Priscilla, we're not really sure why she was better than her husband, but she was. Phoebe, leader in Corinth and deliverer and reader of Romans. So it is just a smattering of examples of, of places where some of our thoughts about what a woman is or should be are pressed against in Scripture. We don't know all the stories. We don't know all of the details behind the song and what it's all about and where it is all going and... And all of why it's in here. I know that some of that will just remain a mystery to me. But, but one of the things that I wanted to end with and I wanted to highlight. The things that I think is so very interesting about this, this song. We talked a few weeks ago that our, our Jewish uh, friends, they, they order the scripture slightly differently the way than we do. We order scripture kind of more thematically, sometimes by length even. Which is like terrible, but that's what we do. Um, the, the Jewish uh, friends, uh, they, they, they've ordered it differently. They call it Tanakh. You have the, the Torah, the first five books, and then you have uh, the middle section, then you the last section, the Ketuvim. And in the Ketuvim, the writings, you have the song. Right. This is where it's placed. But it's placed in a very interesting spot. First, you start with Job, and then you move to the song, and then you move to Ruth. So if you read them all as one story, right, as one big overarching story, you go from Job, To the song to Ruth. Now think about that with me for a moment. Do you remember the story of Job, right? You remember the story of Job. Job is like such a famous character. You probably might not even be a Christian and know the story of Job. Job lost his family. He lost his job. He lost his property. Everything he had. He lost his health. So much so that his wife, seeing his condition, says to him, probably maybe not even out of spite, but out of mercy, just curse God and die. Just let it end. And the Jewish tradition is that Job spent the next 30 years sitting on top of a dung heap, contemplating why he is suffering. Because if you know the story of Job, he's innocent. And if you know the ending of Job, It's not much better because there's no conclusion. There's no answer. God shows up and says, I made all this, bro. Get used to it. And Job is walking out of that experience awestruck by this moment of of this this theophany of seeing the fullness and the immensity of God and realizing how small he is and realizing he doesn't know everything. All this comes to this moment, but then out of that, we walk all of a sudden into this, this song that breaks out. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. It's like we have left death and suffering and pain. And we have walked into a moment of fresh air, of life, of marriage, of love, of feelings in your stomach, of remembering of what it's like to be alive. And then we move into Ruth, which is the story of God's redemptive purpose wrapped in the redemption of Naomi, wrapped in a rom-com, right? Right? And so it makes a lot of sense if you read it canonically, if you read the arc of it, you can see that the whole story is making sense as God is drawing us from one reality of life. You will die. Life will be hard. There will be suffering along the way. But there's still life there is still hope. There is still something stronger than death because that's the interesting piece of the song is that it ends with that theme. There is something stronger than death and it's love. The song, of course, is speaking of human love, the love that we have for one another. And we do know that that is true and deep, but it isn't wrong also to remember that this is but an image of the greatness of God's love for us. And that he wrote that into scripture This ark so that we can see not only life that he has given us, but that we can grasp it and enjoy it and live it. That we might be people. Do you remember this? The fruit of the spirit is what? Start with verse. And what is it? Beth got it. Oh, now I threw her off. Love, right? Joy is the next one. Let's work on those two this week. Start there. Love and joy. And if you read the song you'll experience some of that. So let's remember. Let's remember all that God has done. Because all of this should lead us to a moment of praise, should lead us to a moment of joy, should meet us, meet us in a place where we're ready to, to step out and to live and to, in, to be the people of song, which leads us nicely to what we're doing next. Yes? Stand. Sing.